How did they know? Yeah, like, they're like, oh, how did they know? Well, because you were either Greek or Jewish. Yeah, but why? The only people who were were Jewish in that day. So, that's how you knew? Nobody, uh, today, everybody, I mean, what not? Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> All right. It just seemed like it's... You know what I mean? It's, today, it's a health issue. But... Right. Then nobody was, except for, and the reason, the only reason you would be was as a covenant sign with God. That was the only reason. See? It seems weird that they would like, be like, you're grown, and hey, let's add this and do something. Oh, yeah, I mean, it was a big deal. You want to cut what? <laughs> well, now, the, the, point, the point is, though, it was always, it was always a sign of the covenant. And so they were trying to import this sign of the covenant. They were saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the way. He's the salvation. You can trust in Christ. And He is, you know, He's going to give, bring us to heaven and all those kind of things. But you've got to have, if you're going to be right with God, you've got to add this covenant sign. You've got to have this, you know, you have to have this sign that shows that you're in covenant with God. And uh, you have to, you know, you have, basically they were saying you have to be Jewish in order to be Christian. Because the Jews were God's people, Old Testament, all that kind of stuff. And they were denying, really, the reality of the fact that the gospel has gone forth to both Jew and Gentile. Now, remember, the application for us, though, is not, you know, I doubt anybody's going to ever come up to you and say, hey, I got a knife. You know, you want to be right with God? You know, nobody's ever going to ask you that kind of thing. Or they're going to depend on whether your circumcision is making you right with God. But what they will do is we'll try to add whatever to the gospel. Try to add works to this kind of thing, that kind of thing. Got to be baptized. You got to speak a certain way. You got to, you know, make sure that you do X, Y, and Z every day. And if you don't do those, then you're not right before God. You add anything that you want to the gospel. Jesus plus anything else nullifies the gospel. And that's where so many people get in trouble because they go, they come to Christ and they say all the right things, do all the right things, pray all the right prayers. But the reality is they're not trusting alone in Jesus for their righteousness before God. They're trusting in Jesus plus what I can do. And when they go out and do whatever they can do, they go out and say, wow, God's really proud of me. I did a good job today for God. And the reality is that He doesn't, the only thing He sees is either Christ Jesus or perfect wickedness. Perfect righteousness or perfect wickedness. Okay? The point that we're going to see today is we're going to see in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 is where we're going to start. Uh, the point we're going to see today is that there are some things that are worth fighting for. Uh, Paul and Peter are going to have uh, a little disagreement. And they're going to have it publicly in front of all the people that were in, in Galatia. And, and the, point that, the point that we see is that you cannot... There's some things that we can just get along, you know, just while we're fighting about this, let's just get along. The gospel's not one of those things. Uh, Paul doesn't come to Peter and say, Peter, we need to have a discussion in private. No, he rebukes him openly in front of everybody because what Peter was doing was wrong. And we're going to see that. So, so far in Galatians 1 and 2, Paul has proved the gospel that he's spoken. He's proved that he is an apostle from Jesus. He gave, last week we saw, he gave the testimony of how he was converted and how he went and preached the gospel and all those things. So let's start in verse 11. It says, 
It says, but when Peter was come to Antioch, remember Antioch is where Paul was. That was a Gentile church, one of the biggest Gentile cities in the, in the world at this time. He says, I withstood him to the face, to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before that, before he got there, before, uh, before this time, certain before men came from James, certain came from James, he did eat, Peter did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Now, James is the head of the Jerusalem church. He was, he was like the head of all the Christians in Jerusalem. He was head of the church in Jerusalem. And so what you see here is Peter, remember right before this, Paul went to Jerusalem and he said that the apostles gave him the right hand of fellowship and it was all good. Well, now we see Peter comes to Antioch and what's Peter doing? He's eating with the Gentiles, probably eating the food that they eat as well. He's sharing table fellowship with Gentiles, which made you unclean in Jewish eyes. See what I mean? Does that make sense? Paul was eating. No, Peter was. Peter was. It says in verse 11, it says, When Peter was come from Antioch, I withstood him. Verse 12 says, For before that certain men, before these guys from James got here, he said, Peter ate with the Gentiles. He says, but when these guys got here from James, when these Jewish guys got here, he said he withdrew and separated himself. The reason he did so, because he was fearing them which were of the circumcision. Kenneth? Peter was told to go to the knees and do that. Absolutely. He knew better. He received a message from God to go there. He sure did. And God had already told him to not call them clean when he calls clean. He did. And that the gospel and the Holy Spirit was for the world and not just the Jews. They had already done come through that agreement at Anna that, that God had already done given them the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 15. Yeah, right, yes, right. yes. And now, there's some... And then when he got there, he had agreement in this group, but he did not know what this group was in the same agreement. So Peter was wishy-washy in the way that he was doing it. He was trying to straddle both sides. He knew that God wanted him to tell people, the Gentiles, about the gospel, mm-hmm. but he was wishy-washy. He was on the straddle of the fence there. That's why he withdrew from the other. Right. He it says that he feared the the circumcision. He but was he wanting to be Jewish. Well, there's some discussion about that whether or not the Acts 15 council had taken place yet. Uh-oh. So there is some say yes, some say no. So there's some discussion. And James, when he speaks at that Acts 15, he says we, when they sends that letter, he says we know that there are some among our rank that we haven't sent that are troubling you. And so a lot of people think that that's what this is, what he's talking about here. But you're right. The whole purpose of this text, the whole thing that we're going to see is that Peter knew the gospel. I'm not, I don't think Peter was denying his faith. I think he knew that the, I mean, he did receive the vision from God that the Gentiles were clean. He did. So he knew. And he walked into the Gentile church and he was living according to his faith. He was eating with the Gentiles, fellowshipping with them. You know, who doesn't like a big old pound of bacon? Surely he was eating bacon and pork and all that kind of stuff. And then all these Jewish guys show up from James and then all of a sudden it's like... They're probably sitting over in their own little corner. Well, we're not going to fellowship with those Gentiles because we're Jewish. And it's just, I mean, they're unclean. That's not, that's not good. And what happens is Peter kind of falls back into that mindset that he came out of. Peter falls back into the, well, I guess, I guess I'm going to go sit with 
my Jewish buddies, you know. And he falls back into that. But the point that Paul's going to make, and the reason why Paul confronts him about it, is because Peter's actions are going to lead all these other Jewish guys astray, and they're going to tell the Gentiles, basically what he's going to say is that the gospel is not enough for you to be right before God. You have to add this and this and this, and you have to eat with, you know, you have to become Jewish, basically. If you want to sit with me at my table, you got to become Jewish. That's basically what he was saying. Did you want to say something? I just think Peter seems to struggle with that, like worrying about what other people think. Yeah. Yeah, he, Peter has, he, I, I relate a lot to Peter because he is often sticking his foot in his mouth throughout the Gospels and Acts and, and, uh, it's like he knows what he knows, but then he starts looking around going, Yeah, yeah. Maybe. And, and I what's, know that guy. <laughs> and what's funny is that Peter is like the head apostle, really. Right. I mean, and so uh, it's just it's something. But Paul rebukes Peter. He's going to rebuke him. And um, men from Jesus came. I think that when the, when the men from James showed up, when the men from James showed up, they were probably shocked to see Paul, I mean Peter, <coughs> eating with the Gentiles and fellowshipping with them. And, and the whole issue, you're probably thinking like, what does all this have to do with me? You know, I, I, I love bacon, you know, I, I love bacon and pork and I don't really care. I don't have many Jewish friends that are going to tell me it's wrong or whatever. But the point that it's making for us is that... In Christ Jesus, all of us are on level ground. All of us are exactly the same, brothers and sisters in Christ. And the only thing that makes us righteous is Jesus. And that's it. Nothing that you do, nothing that you don't do makes you righteous before God. The only thing that can make you righteous is Christ. And that's it. And so these guys were talking about Jewish laws and traditions and all those kind of things. That's probably not the context that that we're going to be in. But there's people all over the world that are going to be saying, hey, unless you unless you do these five things or three things, unless you do this, then you're not going to be right before God. There's some people that will even say you have to have your level of faith to a certain level before God will accept you. Really, Jesus said you can have as much as a mustard seed and and you can move mountains. Uh, There's some people that say if your level of repentance is not up to my level of repentance, then therefore God must not accept you. The reality is that all of us are equal in Christ Jesus. You and I are either perfectly righteous. When God looks at you, He sees nothing but absolute perfection of the Son of God, or He sees nothing but absolute wickedness. You understand? There is no such thing in God's eyes as, well, I'm doing better than I used to. No such thing. You're either 100% righteous in Christ, or you're 0% righteous and have nothing but wickedness on your account. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Yeah, do you think Peter had a... um... Do you think he had a complex in the, that he wanted to be a people pleaser? He wanted to make oh, this, absolutely. this group happy. He wanted to make that group happy. And in the process, became just one great big stumbling block for everybody. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely correct. And if you look in from, if you read, I'm always fascinated when I read different texts about the words that are repeated over and over again. Uh, It seems like man is repeated a lot in chapter 1 and 2 of Galatians. Paul says, I'm an apostle, not from man. My gospel didn't come from man. You know, all these things about I'm not a man pleaser. I'm not a whatever. We saw those last week. And here is Peter. And the reason he does what he does is because he's scared of these guys. You know, he's afraid of the circumcision. He He wants the Jewish guys to look at him as like, you know, righteous Jewish guy. And I'm, you know, I got it going on and all those things. 
things. Huh? He just got through witnessing what they did to Jesus. Would you be scared of the Jews then? <laughs> well, that's true. But these Jewish guys claim to be Christians. See, that was the, that's the big deal with Galatians is uh, there's a lot of people that attack Christianity. A lot of people that, you know, Jesus is, you say the word Jesus and you're going to get persecuted one way or another. But these were people that were claiming to be Jewish Christians. And they were entering into the Galatian church and they were trying to add works to the gospel. And that's why Paul uses some of the harshest language. I mean, he is relentless with these folks. At the beginning, he calls them, he calls them idiots. And he says that they're accursed if they preach a different gospel. Next week, we'll see in chapter 3, he say, he calls them fools twice. Foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish that you think you can work in the flesh after you've begun in the spirit he's going to i mean he's railing against them just about um and so let's read verse 13 it says and the other this is the problem peter draws away from the gentiles and it says verse 13 says and the other jews dissembled likewise with him in so much that barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation dissimulation is from it, the actual word is where we get the word hypocrite so it's they were carried away with their hypocrisy is basically what he's saying Barnabas was the guy with him when he went to Jerusalem to stand up for the Gentiles being saved. This was in Acts chapter 9, before the Acts 15 council. Barnabas was Paul's companion. Barnabas had been with him in the Gentile churches, and Barnabas possibly was with him when he started these churches in Galatia. Paul started all these churches on his first missionary journey through and so Peter's action when he drew, when he withdrew from the table fellowship, showing that you know what, uh, my, you got to be Jewish law and Jewish tradition in order to in order to be righteous before God. When he did that, even Barnabas and some of these Jewish Christians were drawn away into not believing that the gospel is enough to save you. You see the problem. You see why Paul opposed him to his face, and Paul said, "This can't stand, and we got to do it publicly. We got to." We got to correct this publicly because all of these people, all of these people were falling away from the gospel. They were falling out into sin and, and idolatry and all these things and just, you know, whatever, lust and pride and all. Well, I guess it was pride, but they weren't falling out into all this worldly stuff. They were adding their own religious traditions to the gospel. You cannot add, Jesus said, Paul said here in Galatians, he said, if you add one thing to the gospel, if you add one thing to what Jesus has done, then you have nullified the gospel. If I add whatever, if I, I know Jesus has saved me, but I have to blank in order to keep myself safe. When you add one thing to the gospel, you've nullified the gospel. You've destroyed it. It's like, like we said last week's life. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You can't be sort of pregnant, kind of pregnant. You either are or you're not. It's the same thing. You either trust the gospel or you don't. It's the same. doesn't matter if you add one thing, if you add 25 things, if you add a thousand things. You either trust the true gospel or you don't. That's, that's what Paul is saying. And so Paul got up in Peter's face. And this is what he said. Verse uh, uh, well, verse 13, we just read, when we don't live by the gospel, we draw others away from the gospel. Paul rebuked him publicly, and he was showing that the gospel has authority, even over Peter. 
This was, remember in chapter 1 where they said, we were talking about how they were talking about Paul is like a second-hand apostle. He never walked with Jesus like the real apostles did and all those kind of things. And Paul was defending his apostleship. Well, here Paul's showing that Peter's under the same authority as everybody else. Nobody gets to define the gospel, not even the great Peter. The gospel is what it is, and Peter has to submit to that gospel as well. So, this is the question he asked. Verse 14 says, But when I saw, this is Paul, when I saw that they, who is they? Peter and the Jewish Jewish guys that had come from James. When they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel... I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live live and do as the Jews? So he said to Peter before them all, he said, If you're Jewish, and you're living like the Gentiles, if you're coming and you're eating pork and eating bacon and, you know, hanging out with the Gentile table fellowship... Why are you now all of a sudden separating yourself from them and and showing forth the fact that they would see Peter. The Gentiles would probably be sitting there, the Gentile Christians in Antioch would probably be sitting there and they would say, what's Peter doing? He's over there. What? He's not sitting with us anymore? I mean, he doesn't want to fellowship with us anymore? Can you imagine a Gentile walking over to the, you know, I don't know exactly if it was like this, but a Gentile walking over to the Jewish table with his tray, you know? It's like... (laughs) And all the Jews look at him like, you're not going to sit here, surely. And the Gentile, I mean, it was like they separated themselves and Peter went off with them. And so if you were a Gentile Christian in this fellowship and all this happened, what would be going through your mind? I would be thinking very unkind things about the Jews. Well, we know that, but what would you be thinking about what Peter was saying about you by his actions? That you're not good enough. That you're not good enough, that you're not... You're unclean. You know, you're un- that was the whole thing is that if, if Jewish, if a Jewish man, if I eat with you, if I walk into your house as a Gentile, all these things under Jewish law made you unclean. But Christ did away with all those things. Christ did away with all those laws. And he said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. We're all uh, perfect before God through him. And Peter knew this. He knew this and believed this. I do not believe Peter would have stood up and preached that, oh, y'all got to be Jewish like me if you want. He, he would have never said anything like that. He would have known that that was against the gospel. But it was easy for him to fall back into the tradition that he'd always known, that he grew up with, that he lived in. It was easy for him to fall back into what he used to be. You see that? It wasn't like, if you would have asked Peter, Peter, are these Gentiles just as good as you Jewish guys in Christ, Peter would have said, absolutely, I got the vision myself. God showed it to me. There's no doubt. But by his actions, he was denying the very gospel that he was preaching. Does that make sense? See? And and we do the same thing sometimes. We do, especially when it comes to fellowshipping with people, and that was the case right here, that was the whole thing, was that this person here is unclean, and this person is not unclean, and the whole point, the whole you know, uh, the whole issue was about what you have done and what you have not done. You both love Jesus. You've both given your life to Christ. You've both accepted the gospel. But this one, you know, is 
doing something, and this one has not. This one has the right tradition, you know, of his ancestors, and this one doesn't. And so if you're a Gentile Christian, and you're seeing this, you know, you've been worshiping and praising for years with Paul here and and enjoying the fellowship of the church, and we're all one in Christ, and it's just, you know, the gospel's going forth, all this great. All of a sudden, Peter shows up, and hey, it's Peter. This is the guy who walked with Jesus, and we're fellowshipping and having a great time and, and eating together, and he's preaching to us as well, and it's all good. And then these Jewish guys shows up, and all of a sudden, Peter's like, whoa, I can't hang out with y'all. It's saying that the gospel's not enough. You see? We need to make sure that we live according to the gospel as well. Because Peter would never have said the gospel is not enough for you to be saved. Ever. He would never have said that. But by his actions, that's what he was saying. And that's why Paul rebuked him in public. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? I think what we deal with most of today is stereotype of racism. Whereas, whereas they, they were... They were being uh, racist toward the Jews and toward the Gentiles. The Jews were very racist. And we see a lot of that in our cultures today where everybody stereotypes and, and accuses everybody of racism and all kinds of things. I have found in my experience that the only thing that can break that barrier between race and stereotype is a whole heart and a willingness to tell people about Jesus. Right. And when you bring him into that conversation. The scripture says when two or more are gathered in his name, there he will be. But when you bring him into that conversation, there's no longer any racism there. It's just two people talking. Yeah, and it and people. it's it's also with works righteousness, really. Uh, because it's it, it's that way with whatever racism stereotyping you know what whatever we use to make to say to somebody I'm better than you uh, is what's broken down by the gospel. It doesn't matter what it is. Could be could be anything, uh, and especially in the, in this context, the Jews were definitely racist. They believed that theirs was the only race that was uh, God ordained. But even these Jewish Christians who would have never said such a thing were living that way by not having fellowship with these guys. Can you imagine our fellowship meal? I mean, you would look out over the fellowship meal and, you know, all these people, just for conversation's sake, for argument's sake, so all these people are in Christ. All these people are saved. They're all Christians. They're all my brothers and sisters. But yet, when you walk by, you'd be like, ooh, I ain't sitting there. You know, that guy spits when he talks and he's going to put chicken in my face or something or whatever. Whatever we, whatever we use to make somebody else... To lift ourselves in righteousness above somebody else, you're adding to the gospel. Because your righteousness in Christ is the same as my righteousness. It's the same as Jennifer's righteousness or Doug's righteousness or all y'all's righteousness. But that righteousness that we have in Christ does not make us better than the lost man. Well, we are saved by grace. We're still a wretched man. Right. It's only the righteousness of Christ that we have the privilege of being able to go to God. And it's losing that perception that we were once just as wretched as that man. Well, you're God, absolutely, you're God, absolutely God, right that that's that's the truth. 
That's absolutely right. The only, the only difference between you and a lost man is the righteousness of Christ. But what we're talking about in this passage is the fellowship within the church. How even, even when you're saved and I'm saved, we still put barriers in between each other to say, well, I'm more, I'm more righteous. Yeah, I love Jesus more than you. I'm more righteous than you because I go out and I do, you know, I'm doing these things and I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Therefore, my righteousness is better than your right. God, you know. And so we see that we see that the barrier here that we see that's going on is between the Jewish Christians who said, you know, we're Jewish and we're God's people and I don't know about the rest of you guys. And the Gentile Christians who are like, hey, aren't we all saved? Aren't we like brothers and sisters now? What's, what's the deal? And Paul saw this going on and Paul rebukes Peter right in front of everybody. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. He says, if you're Jew, I can imagine, I really like Paul because he was no nonsense. I can imagine Peter's over there in the corner eating with his Jewish friends and, and all the Gentiles are, at, are, are sitting around. And Paul said, whoa, Peter, hey, if you're Jewish, man, and you're living like the Gentiles when your buddies ain't here, how, how come you're making all these folks think like they got to act like you? I can see Peter like, whoa. <laughs> can you imagine getting called out like that in public? And it, it doesn't show Peter's response. But later in, in the epistles of Peter, you can see where he talks about Paul. And I believe Peter did realize that what he was doing was anti-gospel. It was going against the gospel. And he was lifting other people. He was lifting his own righteousness above the other Gentile Christians' righteousness. And it was it was the right thing to do. So let's read verse 15. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. It may be a little elementary, but not. There's no such thing as elementary questions. You were you a Jew because of how you because of how you worship or your religion or the churches you belong to, or were you a Jew because you were born into that? Right. You could be. You were. You were a full-fledged Jewish person because that was your nationality. Like, you were born a Jew. But you could be, if you were a Gentile, you could be proselytized into Judaism. They still do that. They still do that. I know. But, and you could be brought into the community of, you know, Israel. Israel. You could be brought into the community of Israel as a Jewish person. That's what. That's exact. You were circumcised at birth if you was born into it. But if you wanted to convert to Judaism, you know, let's pull out the pocket knife, and that's where you know. I can't imagine that at about thirty years old. But uh, you could do that. But even then, even then, there was still a stigma as far as you know. You weren't. I'm. I'm born. Jewish person, uh, you you just kind of came in. You know, there was still kind of this hierarchy of I'm one of the chosen. Paul, so now, I was born Roman. Huh? Paul talked about how he was born Roman. Born a Roman citizen. Yeah. yeah. Paul was. Paul was. I think he was. He was tailor made to do what he did because he was not only Jewish. But he was also a Roman citizen from Tarsus, educated. You know, he probably knew all the philosophers. He, in his speeches at Mars Hill, you could see that he was well acquainted with the, you know, Aristotle and all the Greek thinkers and all that kind of stuff that was going on. But yet he was also well versed in the Old Testament, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, you know, he had kind of the best of both worlds, which made him the perfect apostle to go to the Gentiles. We went to the synagogue over in Jackson one night. Yeah. Gen- 
paper, some kind of study, and I had a friend that's Jewish. And I called David and he said, sure, y'all come. Did you go? Dustin uh -uh. went, didn't Jennifer? Of course, we get ready to go in there, Jennifer. My mother, you know this is wrong. <laughs> and I said, Dustin, shut up. Did they try to circumcise him? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But they welcomed us with open I'm sure, arms. yeah, I'm sure. Didn't they, Jennifer? Yeah, but one thing we've got to see here with uh, Peter is that he didn't, he wasn't doing anything out of malice. His actions here were done out of fear. He didn't want anybody yeah. to think anything wrong with him, so he went back to what he knew. You know, it's not like he was like, oh, I want to look good in front of that person. Yeah, he probably was just falling back into the tradition that he'd always known. It wasn't known. a malicious thing that he felt. Uh, probably not. I don't think so. I think that he wasn't He wasn't scheming to mm -hmm. make the Gentiles feel bad. He just wasn't... Walk, that, that's what it said. When I saw that they walked not uprightly, it says, literally it says that they were walking in a straight line with the gospel. When I saw that because of their actions, they were not walking in accordance with the gospel. It says, I rebuked him to his face. Verse 15, he says, this is Paul talking to Peter. And we're going to, we got like 15 minutes left, so we got to get done. It says, we who are Jews by nature, as Paul's talking to Peter here, and not Gentile, not sinners of the Gentiles. Now understand, he's not saying that we are not sinners because we're Jewish. That's what the Jewish people called Gentiles because they didn't have the law. Was That was just the term for them. So he's not saying that they weren't sinners, but he's saying that we, you and I, Paul, Peter, Peter, Paul, Paul was saying to Peter, you and I, we're Jews by nature. We're not Gentiles by nature. And it says, verse 16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, saying us Jews, me and you, Peter and Paul, me and you, knowing that we're not justified by works of law, even you and me have trusted in Christ. And this is the reason they trusted in Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of law, for by the works of law shall no flesh be justified. Amen. In verse 17 he says, but listen Peter, but if while we seek to be justified in Christ, he says you and I are Jewish and we're seeking to be justified in Christ. He said if while we're seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves are found sinners is therefore Christ the minister of sin. God forbid. What he's saying here and he's explaining it in the next verse. It says for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. What he's saying is Peter, you've gone back to your tradition. So you're either wrong now or you were wrong to ever leave it in the first place. See what I'm saying? He said, you and I know, this is Paul talking, you and I know that by the works of law, no one's going to be justified. And so therefore, you and I as Jewish men are trusting in Christ for our justification. If you go back to your tradition now to be justified, that means that Jesus must have been compelling you to sin by going against it to start with. Does that make sense? Y'all yeah. with me? You're either wrong for going back now or you were wrong for ever leaving it in the first place. So if you build up now what you once destroyed, if you try to be justified by the law now after you've received Christ... 
then you're saying that it was wrong and sinful for you to ever leave the law in the first place. So if you build up what you've already destroyed, then you're proving yourself to be a transgressor. Does that make sense? Is any questions? He's saying, he's saying you're either, if you're going back now and seeking to be justified by the law, you're either wrong now. You're either a sinner now for doing that and going against the gospel, or you were a sinner when you first left it because you never should have left it to begin with. You can't have it both ways. You can't start out in the gospel and then think you're going to make yourself better by the law. You're either 100% righteous in the gospel, outside of the law, or you're 0% and you're still working under the law to try to make you righteous. Make sense? You can't say... and. For us, it's like I see so many people that you'll, you'll come to Christ and you'll understand that I'm, I'm giving my life over. I'm giving all this sin up. I'm, 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 I'm turning everything over to Jesus and I'm, I'm trusting Him with my salvation. And then two years down the road, you'll do something wonderful and think it's adding to your justification. Or you'll do something bad and think it's taken away from your justification. Whatever it is, you understand you can't start out trusting the gospel in faith for your righteousness and then later on down the road think that my righteousness is being gained by something I'm doing or not doing. Does that make sense? Are y'all with me? Some of y'all looking like, whoa. You either trust the gospel today, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 100 years from now, or you don't trust the gospel at all. It's as simple as that. Once you trust the gospel, you can't later on try to add works to make yourself better. Or take all the things that are going on in your life to make yourself worse and say, well, God doesn't see me as good as He saw me before. It's not about that. He sees you as righteousness. But are we not supposed to bring forth fruit to work, to show? Absolutely. But that fruit doesn't add to your righteousness. Not one little teeny bit. Not, not, Not even a microscopic element. God sees you as perfect in Christ Jesus or He sees you... So why does He destroy a vine if it doesn't produce fruit? Because it was never it was never rooted to the vine to start with the branch the branches that root to the vine. Jesus, yes, that's the thing is that Christ brings forth fruit in us, and if you're not connected, Jesus made that in John 15. He said, "Without me, you can do nothing." A branch not connected to the vine is a dead branch. Cut it off, throw it into the fire. Fruit is fruit is the evidence of your salvation, not the cause of your salvation. Does that make sense? So if you are truly justified in Christ, your life will produce fruit. Amen. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kind of goes faithfulness. And does that mean that I'm perfect and I'm all, you know, of course, y'all know that we're not perfect. Y'all, well, I don't even have to go into that. That's a no-brainer. But the person who produces absolutely no fruit needs to really ask hard questions because either one of two things is possible. If you're not producing fruit of some kind, number one, either God was just mistaken when He said all my children will love me and produce fruit and I'll cause them to keep my commandments. Or number two, you, you haven't trusted the gospel. So it's not an issue of am I doing good enough? The answer to that question is no. I can tell you right now. Do you believe enough? No. Do you repent enough? No. Do you do enough good works? No. Do you do anything that's going to make God owe you Righteousness or owe you favor? No, absolutely not. You have done nothing that earns anything. The only thing that we trust in for our salvation is Christ and Christ alone. And Christ does the Christ does the changing of my heart that causes me to bear fruit and causes you to bear fruit. Make sense? Amen. Yes. What? 
sometimes I think about, um, you know, we think about bearing fruit as, as uh, you know, we're doing some sort of ministry action, or sure. you know, and we, we hold that up as fruit. But that may not necessarily even be the fruit of the Spirit at all. It's just a work. Well... Yeah, uh, service. There's a couple of times that Paul says, I, I hope to come to you so I'll have fruit among you. Uh, and so I think that could be included, but it, it's not necessarily. The fruit, that's, the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces is love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. But sometimes we think of, sometimes we think of a fruit as a Christian. We've got to go do something outwardly. That, uh, but that's not necessarily a fruit of Spirit working in us, right? Yeah, I, the, well, let's make a clarification. The fruit that the fruit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kind of the things that happen in you will affect your outwardness. Sure, but just to run off, yeah, just to run off and go hand out tracks is not necessarily a fruit. Yes, I understand. Right, right, not necessarily. But the fruit that does take place in you will have outward something. May not be handing out tracks or witnessing on the street, but it's something. Tell a lost person about Jesus. Shows forth that compassion and love that's already there. That you probably wouldn't have done any other. Yeah, that's very possible. That's very possible. Um, what time is it? Oh yeah, we gotta hurry. All right, last last verses. Uh, 17, but if we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, therefore Christ ministers sin. That's what he's saying is, if you're chasing after the law now, then Christ led you into sin, obviously, because you left the law when you came to Christ. He says, God forbid, that's not true. For if I build up again these things that I have destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. And these are the last three verses are definitely some that you probably need to memorize. It says, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. And then, of course, the famous verse, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, yet I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life, I, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Amen. And here's the, here's the kicker, last verse. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. How, is it, how does a man frustrate the grace of God in the context of what we're talking about right here? Who's, who's the one frustrating the grace of God in this chapter? Peter. Peter and the Jewish believers. How are they frustrating the grace of God? They're trying to add to the righteousness of God by their works. It says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. And here's the, here's the kicker. It says, for if righteousness comes by the law... It says, then Christ is dead in vain. It said, if you add, if you add any of your stuff to this gospel, then Christ died for no reason. You're saying that he is not sufficient to save you. Basically, it comes down to this. Either you, to believe the gospel, you have to believe that your righteousness comes only and sufficiently from Jesus Christ. Amen. 
And if you say that I have to add my works, my goodness, my whatever into that mix in order for God to accept me, what you have effectively said is that Jesus' death and resurrection is not good enough to save me. And that's what Paul's saying. If you frustrate the grace of God and do that by adding my own works, my own righteousness, my own stuff, if you frustrate the grace of God, you are saying, in effect, that Jesus died for no reason. And that is something, I I can imagine Paul saying these things in the assembly, that had to have cut Peter's heart to the core. Because that's something, you you know, you know Peter's heart uh, from the Gospels and from Acts and from his epistles. He would have never said such a thing. He, He had denied Christ three times when he, and it killed him. It tore him up inside and it was just, he, he carried that with him. I, I can only assume that he carried it with him, you know, up until Christ forgave him and said, do you love me three times? And he said, you know, I love you. Uh, but he would never, he would never have said such a thing. And for Paul to say, Peter, look at the way you're walking. And by the way that you're walking and you're acting, you are saying that Christ died and his death is not good enough for all these Gentiles sitting around here. Because in order for these Gentiles to meet with your standard of righteousness, they have to have Christ, but they also have to be circumcised and be Jewish and have the Jewish table fellowship as well. Do you see what Paul is saying here? The whole point of Galatians is he's defending the gospel of grace against anybody who would add anything to that gospel. And he says that if you add anything It doesn't matter. Even things that are commanded back in the Old Testament. Peter was not doing anything that was not commanded the Israelite nation to do in the Old Testament. But Jesus had fulfilled all them laws. And so when Peter started walking back in the way of his tradition, the way he grew up, the way he knew the law, the way he had been in the temple, when he fell back into that, he was denying the gospel of Christ with his actions. And that is something that Paul could not stand for. Paul rebuked him face to face and he's letting the Galatians know the very next text in chapter 3 is going to be, you foolish, foolish Galatians, do you think that you have begun in the spirit and you think you can be made perfect in the flesh? Uh, The point he's making here is that you Galatians are doing the same thing that Peter was doing. And I rebuked Peter to his face when he did it in Antioch. Therefore, I'm... I'm going to rebuke you as well. And chapter 3 is, I mean, if I was a Galatian church member and Peter, this epistle was read to me in the, in the church, I'd be like, I'm changing churches. I don't like, I don't like Paul. I don't like Paul. He, you know, he offended me when he preached. Therefore, I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to all, Tarsus or whatever. All the years that the Gentiles watch the Jewish God do all these great things for their nation, and to be told all those years that the Gentile nation is nothing but, but trash and unclean people, and that this God that we have is for us only. Can you imagine the joy that they had? I can't. When they found out that the God of the Jews was for them as well. Hmm. The joy, that, I mean, when they even told Cornelius about that, their whole house just. Yeah. They just freaked out. They were they were just like, wow, you mean he's for us too? Yeah. Well the yeah. And that was that was what that's what Peter was denying in his actions. And that's why Paul that's why Paul had such a 
harsh reaction, I guess we could say. Uh, is there any questions before we go? We're going to pray. Next week we'll do chapter 3. All right, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for uh, uh, your gospel. Uh, God, you just uh, 